corruption that's happening. Um, I, I read an article this week that got my attention, and, um, and, and, it, and it walked right along with my sermon and, and everything that's happening around with us, and that's how God usually does it. You just see things just coming together. We've had some amazing things happen in, um, in, in our little community lately. Uh, my wife gets on, gets on to me always because I think football is too important part of my life, is what she thinks. I think her crocheting is too big of an important part of her life, and she needs to start crocheting less. You know what I'm saying? That's just how I feel. Um, but uh, but we've, been, we've seen some amazing things happen, and we all love sports. I told the guys when they were singing uh, Power in the Blood, if walk-up songs is a thing for preachers, I want that to be my walk-up song. You know what I'm saying? And if it and if it if it don't, we can invent that to be something. Because I did, I was a baseball player back in the day, and I could have went far in baseball, but I couldn't hit a baseball. So it really slowed things down for me in in that possibility. Um, if I could hit it, I think I would have would have went farther. But we have seen something lately in our youth league teams that was amazing. I got to see yesterday um, three of the four youth league teams compete in a turf bowl. And um, 20 years ago, I was actually the president of the Youth Football League, and I got them into the Tri-State Youth Football League, and I got death threats. It was bad. Um, uh, we did not win a game for years. I mean, literally years. And uh, it was really bad. But and I'm thankful they're winning games now. Um, but have three and the, these kids, but they all have to understand, even at that young age, it's going to take hard work and effort to be able to get to that level, to be able to do that. Then yesterday, our middle school team did something that no other middle school team in Louise has ever done and got to the, the state championship in the middle, middle school football. And they had to understand that, man, that's going to take, that took a lot of hard work and effort to get to that spot. And our, our football team is in the second round of the, of the um, playoffs right now and, and has it good looking for the third round and we're excited about that but it takes a lot of hard work and, and effort but it's not just in football it's in every part of our life that we've seen the jobs that you you have the the music that you learn how to play all the stuff that we do we realize it takes hard work so the article that I read this week was this let's make hard work a thing again because right now, hard work really is not a thing. It's not something that is very popular at all. And the elderly people among us, this, this 16, 70, 80-year-old generation, they know what hard work is. Because if they did not work hard, they did not eat. It was simple. Um, right now, um, hard work is not... Something we think about, not something that we are interested in. And a majority of people, if they would see the sign hard work ahead, they would turn around and go back the other direction. Um, I asked them at 8.30 this morning and not wanting to make any lady mad at all. Please understand when I say this. Do you know the reason why we have cupcakes? You know what a cupcake is? Because if I can make a cupcake, it's easy. All of y'all I know, no, it's easy. You can put flour and cocoa and sugar in a coffee cup and water and put it in the oven, microwave, and it's going to come out a cupcake. 
It's easy. Uh, and, and that's a simple thing. And, and we have those because it's easy to make. And if you're making someone a cupcake, I apologize right now, but that was just part of the illustration. Um, that happens sometimes. But what we have to understand is this. I do not want to have a cupcake Christianity. I don't want to follow Christ easy and simple and no, inst no nothing in me in it. But I want to follow Christ with all that I am. I want to love him with all my heart, all my soul, and all that is in me. I want to give it to the Lord. And it's going to take some what? Hard work. It's going to take some effort. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 6, the hard-working farmers should be the first to partake of the crops. They're in line first. Why? Because they earned it. They worked hard and they took it. We need to understand that's what happens when you work hard. When you work hard, you take part of it. Um, in, in that article that I read, this man was from Michigan. And he was um, shoveling um, four feet of snow off of his driveway. And he was about halfway done. How many of y'all are excited about four feet of snow coming to Louisa this week, this, this summer, winter? I am. I'm going to get out right in the middle of it and just lay there and make a snow angel. Um, I can't wait until that happens. I'll probably be tired of it in the second day, but the first day I'll be excited about it. But he was out there shoveling his uh, snow off of his driveway, and he got halfway through, and two young boys walked up to him with shovels in their hands and said, Sir, for two bucks, we'll finish the job for you. And he said, Boys, I'm about halfway done. He said, Exactly. He said, what do you, you should have showed up before. He said, no, we always go and wait until you get halfway done and you're ready to quit and we come in and finish a job for you. Because people are always what? Ready to quit. We need to have some toughness in us. We're at a place where that's no longer a popular thing, but we need to be tough. And I want to show you today is this that we find Paul in Corinth, um, and Corinth has a bad reputation. And the best way that I could tell you about Corinth's bad reputation is a picture I took, I got you here, it would be called Sin City. That's what Corinth would be. It was the capital of sin. It was the, where all the, all the sellings went about, all the transactions happened, and everything happened in, in Corinth. And it was a large city, and they did whatever they wanted to do. They didn't have any major religion. They, they only, the religion was themselves, and that's all they enjoyed. And it was a mess. It was probably the most wicked sin, city in the Roman Empire at that time. And Paul went into Corinth alone and had some hard work ahead of him. So the very first thing I want to show you in, in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, was that Apostle Paul was a hard worker. He was a tent maker. Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently came, come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to part from Rome. And he came to them. So, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked 
for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greek. When Silas and Timothy had came from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. The first thing I want to show you is this, was Paul was not scared of hard work. He was tough. He was a tent maker. He had a job to do. Um, all Jewish boys learned a trade at a very young age. Even the Levites, even the ones that were going to be priests, still learned a trade because at that time, many of them was only able to be a priest one week out of the year. So they really needed something to do the other 51 weeks out of the year. So he had a job to make money to sustain himself, and that was he was a tent maker. Would not have been something like a Coleman tent that we would understand, but this would have been a difficult job to do to be able to place this tent where it was supposed to be. Um, plan B is what we would call this in, in American terms. When I was uh, 20 years old, 18 years old and going into Bible college, um, they told me that it was a week for me to, to, get a, to learn a, another trade or get another degree because it would be something that I could fall back on. And then when I would get tired of preaching, I'd start doing that. So they said, you know what? Um, you're not allowed to get another degree. You just get a degree in missions and pastoral ministry. And right now I can take my master's in missiology and I can walk into any secular institution in America or this world and show them my masters of missiology. And you know what they're going to say? Uh, Whoop-de-doo. That means absolutely nobody to them except the Southern Baptist Convention. It means nothing to nobody about except the Southern Baptist Church. And that's just what it is. And right now they say we got Chuck right where he wants me because the only thing he could possibly do would be a, a model after this. You know what I'm saying? couple of you were asleep and I woke you up right, at, right there in that. So um, they kept that. But in now we have a beautiful opportunity that people are being trained that are going into the ministry. They're learning a trade. They're having another degree that they could use to advance the kingdom of God. And what happens is this. These kids are coming out of colleges as engineers as has all these different um, degrees and they're not able to get the job that they want to get at this moment so we as a southern baptist convention the international mission board are hiring these people and putting them in jobs in places that we're not even allowed to mention we're not allowed to go and preach the gospel in these countries but we hire engineers out of college that love jesus and are able to share the word and they start working in these countries far away where it's illegal to share the gospel and we put them to work and they work but their job is this is to tell everybody around them that Christ is the Messiah that Jesus has risen from the grave and it's working and we're seeing um, church planted like we've never seen before because someone like Paul a tent maker is going in some place that he would not be allowed to go any other place and he's taking the gospel of Jesus Christ and I love it and I praise the Lord for that but Paul needed a job a way to survive and in that job a way to survive he met a couple named Aquila and Priscilla and Aquila and Priscilla I call them the Bible power couple 
because these, this couple loved Jesus with everything in them. Not only did this couple love Jesus, but they loved the work of the church. And they loved Paul, and they served Paul. And we see that in Romans chapter 16, verses 3 and 4. It says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life. He allowed, he allowed us, the world to know that Aquila and Priscilla risked their necks for his own life. Put their life on the line because they love the work of the Lord so much. And let me share this with you right now. They were important to Paul. Every pastor needs a family like that, a power Bible couple like that. Paul needed them. Their hard work encouraged Paul. And Paul, even though he went alone to Corinth um, to spread, spread the gospel, he was not on his own. God encouraged him and assured him through that blessed assurance of putting Aquila and Priscilla in his life to minister to him in a difficult place, in a difficult time. And God knows exactly what me and you need. And I thank God for couples like that in my life. I thank God for Priscilla's and Aquila's in my life that come along beside of me and help me and take care of me and hold me up so I can continue to preach the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you're a young couple today, man, that should be a goal in your life right now that you want to be a Bible power couple, that you want to be the one that God's called to lift up the pastor, to lift up the missionary, to lift up the work of the God and bring honor and glory to his holy name and that's what it was this family was devoted even though they risked their life they they were people with hands that were given to God they were people with hearts that was given to God their homes were dedicated to the work of the Lord and that's who this couple was and they assured God used them to assure Paul that he was on the right track doing the right work that he needed to just keep on working hard what he was doing but the second thing I want to show you is this not only was Paul a hard worker, Paul had a hard job. He had a difficult job. Read with me in Acts chapter 18, verses 6, 7, and 8. But when they opposed him and blasphemed him, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he had departed from there, and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next to the door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and the many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Can you believe what Paul just said? I want to read that back to you, what Paul said, and, and let you understand, yes, that's exactly what Paul said. They opposed him, they blasphemed him, they yelled at him, they, they, they hated him, and, they, and he said this, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. You know what Paul is telling the, the Jews in Corinth? You had an opportunity to believe in Jesus, but you blew it. And I am clean. I did my job. My job was to present Christ and him crucified to you. And you rejected it. Not only did you reject it, but you blasphemed me and, and gone on. So he shook off his garments. 
of them and said, you know what? I'm done with you Jews. I'm only going to the Gentiles. Do you know what that tells me about Paul? That he was a hard worker and he hated failing. He hated not succeeding. And when he was reasoning with these Jews, when he was telling them and they rejected him, he felt like a failure and he wanted to quit. He wanted to give up what he was doing and he needed assurance that he could not quit, that he had to keep on doing it. Paul did his job. He preached the gospel. And if they didn't believe, you know what, that's on them. But you know, folks, ministry is hard. How many of us responded positively to the gospel the first time we heard it? I would dare to say zero. I have never, maybe once or twice in my life, I've led someone to the Lord the very first time I met them. Usually what is it? Time after time after time. A seed is planted, it's watered, and then time comes and then they believe in the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But Paul got discouraged. When you work hard and you fail, you get discouraged. When you put it all out there and, and you tried your best and you didn't make it, it breaks your heart. It really does. Failing at the sharing of the gospel is tough. But you and I cannot quit. The Lord has someone out there ready to hear the gospel. And we have to trust that. Because at the exact right moment, after he was discouraged, and after he said, you know what, I'm done with you Jews. I washed my hands of you all. Your blood's on your own hands. I've done my job, and that's all I can do. I'm done. He walks around, and he bumps in to a guy named Justice. And he takes Justice. He goes home with Justice. And guess who Justice's neighbor is? His name is simply, <laughs> it's not an easy name, it's Crispus. And who is Crispus? but the chief of the synagogue. So not only is he a Jew, but he is what? The chief of the Jews. He's the head honcho. So Paul, discouraged, saying, I'm done with you all, God assures him that, Paul, you might be done with them, but I'm not. And God, at the right time, puts Paul in the place of justice and now we see he meets Crispus and Crispus, his whole, him and his whole entire family believe in Jesus Christ and are baptized. You know what I bet Paul realized real quick is it's not about me, it's all about Jesus. And when he was ready to quit, God had him at, one, at the right place at the right time. We call them coincidences but they're not. It's God's hand that work at all times. The leader of the sin to God and his whole entire family was saved. God is always working. The greatest motivation for a believer today is for a lost man to get saved. I've shared with people who were far from God, who were backslidden, who, who believed, said that they believed in Jesus, but really have not had a spiritual moment in years. And I've shared with them about the salvation of somebody they've known 
and a smile comes on their face and they say, well, thank the Lord. How is it that a backslidden Christian can rejoice because a lost man has been saved? You know what the Bible says in Luke chapter 15 and verse 10? Luke chapter 15 and verse 10 says, Likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You know, a flag that would show that you need some spiritual help in your life is that when you hear of the salvation of a lost man and it brings you no joy and it puts not a smile on your face, that's when you and Jesus need to get down on your knees and meet him. I can tell you the times where they have thrown rocks through my, my van. I learned how to change windows in my van because we got them knocked out so much on the mission field. When we would go in places and preach, they'd throw rocks and knock our windows out. They'd steal things that was in our cars. They would uh, cuss us and uh, one time I actually had a guy moon me and I'm like that was actually pretty fun you know what I'm saying and I didn't understand that you know I, I don't get mooned very often you know what I'm saying um, but you know all these things that 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 happened but when I would leave uh, an evangelism meeting even my windows were broke out and something was stolen and maybe I even had to had an altercation with somebody if one soul was saved, I left that village with the biggest smile on my face rejoicing for God got the victory. You know what? When one sinner repents, it brings joy to heaven. And it should bring joy to the heart of every single one of us today. Paul's job was hard, but the result of hard work is seeing someone believe upon Jesus and until you got down and prayed and with someone and they believed upon Jesus Christ, you'll never experience the joy, unspeakable and full of glory that that means. It is the greatest reward that you could ever have in life. Third thing I want to show you is this. Paul went into Corinth by himself and God brought Priscilla and Aquila beside of him to encourage him. Paul went in Corinth by himself and he was working hard but he got to see some people saved and it brought joy to his heart. But still yet, between verses 8 and verses 9, I believe there's a large gap in time and some difficult things happen that we may not have all the understanding of what happened between verses 8 and 9. But it got difficult. But I want to show you this. Jesus knew that Paul needed assurance. And let me share something with you this morning. I don't know what you're going through, but the Lord Jesus does. And he knows when you need assurance. And he will give you that blessed assurance today. I want you to read with me in verses 9 through 11 and see that Paul needed that blessed assurance from the Lord. The Bible says in, in verse 9, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in night by a vision. And maybe in your Bible, there's this, this is in red because this is Jesus speaking to, to Paul. Listen to the encouragement. Listen to the blessed assurance that Jesus gives the Apostle Paul. Do not be afraid. 
but speak. And do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. And he continued there six months teaching the word of God among them. Paul was thinking about leaving. He was getting beat up left and right. It was tough. Even though he had seen families saved, he was still struggling and he needed encouragement because he was right there ready to quit. And the Lord knew it and the Lord intervened in his life. Allow the Lord to intervene in your life at this point, maybe when you're right there ready to give up. But listen to what the Lord said to him at this time. The very first thing he said is this, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Abraham, Jesus, the Lord said the same thing to him. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Then Isaac, in Genesis chapter 26, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. Then Jacob, in Genesis 46, I am God. The God of your father, do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make for you a great nation there. Then the mother Mary in Luke chapter 1, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And then Simon Peter in Luke chapter 5, when he was surrendering to follow Jesus Christ, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be fishermen of men. 365 Different times in God's holy word, one for every day of the week, the Lord tells us, do not be afraid. And that's the way that he assures them, do not be afraid. But then afterwards, he did not stop there. Me and you, when we tell our kids, do not be afraid, afraid we immediately go in, everything's going to be okay. That's not what Jesus said. He's going to say that in a minute, but that's not what he said right then. That's not the most important part of the situation. The most important part of the situation is you not to calm down. The verse first, don't be afraid. But then he said this, speak up. Do not be silent. Do you know what the devil was trying to do to the apostle Paul in Corinth? The devil was trying to get Paul to shut up. Quit telling people about this Jesus Christ Quit telling them about salvation. Quit telling them about what Christ has done for them. Stop it. That was ruining the kingdom of the devil. And he wanted to stop it right now. He wanted to silence the kingdom of God. He wanted to silence the gospel. Church, wake up. Let us understand this as believers today. What the devil wants more than anything in this world is for you and me to shut up. To silence us. To no longer tell people of the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To never tell someone they have sinned and they stand in need of repentance before a holy God. And the only hope that they have is believing and repenting of their sins and trusting in Jesus Christ. 
The devil is saying, shut up. Don't tell nobody that. That's, that's embarrassing. You need to be quiet. But Jesus said, don't be afraid. Speak up. Do not be silent. You know what Jesus is saying? Don't be afraid. Do your job. Don't be afraid. Do your job. What's your job? As a church today, our job is the ministry of reconciliation. What is the ministry of reconciliation? We reconcile fallen mankind unto a holy God. You know what that means? We help people who have made a mistake make peace with God Almighty. Who are those people who have made a mistake? Every single one of us. And we help those people make peace with a holy God. You know what Jesus is telling Paul as assurance? Don't be afraid. Do your job. This is what you're here for. This is why I have you here. Then he continues on and he quotes as we see throughout the whole entire scripture. Jesus says, for I, for I'm with you. I don't know if you need assurance this morning of something. You're struggling with something. But the greatest whisper you'll ever hear is the whisper from the Lord Jesus himself and saying, you know what? I'm right here. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I've not gone anywhere. He told his apostle Paul and gave him the blessed assurance simply saying, I am with you. Then he goes into the protection part. He says this, no one is going to lay a hand on you. And this is not something that's going to last forever. This is just Corinth. This is a specific time and place. He says, no one's going to touch you, attack you, or hurt you. And then he gave the reason of why he's protecting him in Corinth and why nobody in Corinth is going to hurt him or stop him is this. Listen to the heart of Jesus. I have many people in this city. This is not mob talk. You know what I'm talking about, mob talk? I have someone in my life who, who's a mobster, who's from a mob family. And, and, and she jokingly says it all the time, but she says, I, you know, I know people. I have people in this city who can take care of problems like that. Jesus was not talking mob. He's not talking, I have people in this city that can take care of things like that. That's not what he's talking about. You know what Jesus was saying? Don't be afraid. Paul, speak up. I'm right here with you. I'm not going to let anybody touch you or hurt you because I still have people in this city who need Jesus. I still have people in this city who need to repent of their sins and believe the gospel. There's still people in this city who I have that have not yet believed in me. You cannot give up. I have many people in this city. The Lord knows who are his. You know what he's telling Paul? There's still a whole bunch of people in Corinth that needs to get saved. And you can't give up right now. The Bible says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19, but God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. The Lord know, knew he still had people in Corinth to be saved. And what the happening, what was the blessed of all 
is if he would continue on the hard work that he was done doing, God's work at hand, that those people would want to believe in Jesus Christ. What was the result of the assurance? Paul continued in Corinth another year and a half. Saw tons of people saved. But what did it give Paul? Blessed assurance. Paul knew that the Lord was with him. I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want you to raise your heart. Has there ever been a time in your life that you forgot that the Lord was with you? My heart raises its hand. That I thought I was in this on my own. That I had no help, no possibility, no hope. But then the Lord assured me that he was with me. The blessed assurance that Paul had was this, was even though he was having a hard time, even though it was difficult, even though that it was messy and it was dirty, the Lord was with him. Even though what you're going through right now is messy and dirty, the Lord is with you. But not only that, I love the other blessed assurance he gave Paul. Was he wanted Paul to know that more people were going to be saved. More people in Corinth were going to believe in Jesus Christ. If I knew right now today that no one else would ever be saved in my ministry ever again, that would be the hardest thing for me to deal with. Because what am I here for? What, what, what could I do? How could I help? It would be useless and purposeless. But Paul, Jesus wanted Paul to know that he still had purpose. You still have breath. You're still here. And I have you here for a reason. And if you're struggling this morning why you're here, why you have not been taking on, or why if you have a purpose or you don't have a purpose, the answer is yes, you still have a purpose. If the Lord has still given you breath, he still has you in the place that he has you. He still has a reason for that being, and that is to add to his kingdom and bring honor and glory to his holy name. That is the assurance that Paul received. And Paul got to see the hand of the Lord at work. Acts chapter 18, verses 12 through 17. When Gallio, Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat saying, This fellow persuades me to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crime, wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But it is a question of words and names, and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat, and all the Greeks took Sothenes, the ruler of the synagogue, <coughs> and beat him before the judgment seat. But Galileo took no notice of these things. I love to see that God's always working. And a problem that me and you as believers have is we forget that God is always working. And we forget how hard God always works. Me and you have needed naps. And there's some of you all who love to take naps. I, I like a nap every now and again. 
right? God's never had one. Never needed one. God's always been working this whole entire time for me and for you. Corinth, they got a good new governor in town, new sheriff in town, as we would say it. And the Jews figured if there's a new sheriff in town, that the Romans might possibly declare this new way of Christ, of Christians, to be illegal. So they got excited, and Paul, they brought Paul in front of Galileo to, to have him um, arrested and have him beaten and probably even killed just like they did Jesus. And they wanted him to have a trial just like they wanted to put Pontius Pilate on the place and have Jesus tried. And they brought him in front of him, and Paul was getting ready to speak. Paul was getting ready to give his defense so that they would not kill him. But before Paul could even speak, the governor speaks up. And you know what the governor tells them? I don't even want to hear it. And he throws them out of the, the courtroom. I ain't going to hear it. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. There's no substance to this. It is ridiculous. Not even, I'm not even going to think about this. And he puts them out. And you remember that Crispus was the leader of the synagogue. He got saved, so he ain't the leader of the synagogue anymore. So they have a new guy named Sosenethes, and he's the leader. And he's like there saying, no, you can't do that. The Greeks in a courtroom got so up, upset, they whooped him right in the middle of the courtroom. And Galileo watched it. And what does the Bible say? He did nothing. He just walked off. Why is that in the Bible? Allow us to see that. The reason is this, is we try to think that we have to figure out a way to be something so that we can do this. No. God had already worked through a pagan governor to get his way. God already used a pagan nation, the Roman Empire, in Corinth to get his will done. God is already working he already had that taken care of. In this pagan nation, we're not only tolerating Christianity, but almost cooperative, cooperating with Christianity. And because of that, God used that to spread the gospel to who? Even me and even you. God is always working. That is what God can do, and that is God, what God does do. Ministry is hard. Church is hard. But I do not want to cupcake Christianity. I don't want to love the Lord with some of my heart. I don't want to give him a little bit of my time. I don't want just to every now and then, you know, I'll show up. Ministry is hard. But something is stopping the majority of America from ministering to people. And it's fear. But the Lord Jesus says this. I've not given you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. He's saying this, don't be afraid. Speak up. The Lord is with you. And he still has many people in this city, in, in these cities. That's a picture of the Fort Gay Bridge. I wonder if the people in Fort Gay call that the Louisa Bridge. 
Do they? I'd love to believe me. I don't know. But the Lord still has people in these two cities, these two counties, that need Jesus Christ. The church needs assured that they still have a job. Who's the church? We're the church. And Jesus is speaking to us today. Don't be afraid. Speak up. Do your job. I am here with you because I still have people in Fort Gay and Louisa, Kentucky that still need to be saved. Tell people of his love. If you believe it today, how in the world could you not want to share it with someone else? Our heart, our prayer is this, is that people hear who Christ is and what he's done for us. What this world wants to do is silence us. They want us to shut up. What Corinth wanted to do with Paul is they didn't care what he did, where he did, but they just wanted him to shut up and leave him alone. This world is right now like a, like a brat. I was a brat. A couple of you all were brats. When you got mad and you got upset, the very first thing a brat says is, leave me alone. Right? Leave me alone. I want to talk to you. But the greatest thing that they need is what? Someone to love on them and talk to them and be there for them. We as a church need to do what we've been called to do. And this morning, if you're not a believer, you know what hard work is. You've seen it your whole entire life. You've been around it. You've seen grandpa and grandma in the coal mines and all that stuff. You know what hard work is. And most people today say, you know what, I can never be a Christian because it's, it's too hard of a work. Too much difficulty. You know what? It is. But the hardest job that was ever done was done by Jesus Christ. And he died. He gave his life. Left heaven, gave his life for me upon the cross of Calvary. So that I would not have to perish, but that I could have everlasting life. And for the one who did the hardest job in the world, I think I can do the, my hardest work for him, for his glory, and for his honor. And I want to bring honor and glory to his name. Lord God, we'd ask that you would work in our hearts today. That, Lord, we understand that hard work is not popular. It's not something anybody wants to do. But, Lord, we'll never forget the hard work that you put upon the, the cross of Calvary for us. You could have called down 10,000 angels and killed everyone that was even around that day. But, Lord, you, because of us, stayed on that cross and gave your life so that we would not have to perish that we could have everlasting life. Because of you, we know what hard work truly is. Lord, what we want to do is be that servant that you called us to do. Change, Lord, our hearts. Lord, even this morning, in Jesus' precious name, I pray.